You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Orla Gartland. Orla is a musician from Ireland who really takes DIY to heart. She's someone who's always about exploring different ways of approaching songwriting and producing a song. And she's someone whose work I've been following for a very long time. In all honesty, when we started this series, when I thought about the first 20, 30 people I wanted to be on the show, she was definitely high up there. A couple weeks back, she was in New York touring with um, the British music sensation YouTuber Dodie, a good friend of Orla. And um, I got to catch up with Orla right before she hit the stage playing uh, guitar for Dodie on stage at Brooklyn Steel which is one of our best venues here in New York. Anyways, this talk was a lot of fun to do, and I'm really glad I get to share it with you, so thank you for listening. This is the 405 Exchange with Orla Gartland. Enjoy. You look like you've just seen a monster Is that what I look like to you? Won't somebody hold me? So, believe it or not, I remember a few years back you came to play a show at Rockwood Music Hall. Do you remember that quite well? Well remembered, yeah. yeah. I think that was, what, 2015 or so? That was exactly when it was, 2015. Yeah. That's my first and so far only headline tour of your great country. Yeah. I remember just like, I somehow found myself at that show. I don't remember who told, put me on to your music, but I remember what? finding myself, yeah, I was at the show and I remember one being blown away by the amount of people there who were like actively wanting to like be there, who were receptive to you. Yeah. And also the way you were towards the people, like that really got me as well. Like the way you weren't afraid to banter and talk to people, I thought that was beautiful. I was so shocked. <laughs> at that whole tour I did my first sort of headline run out here so it was about seven or eight shows but they were all I mean what is Rockwood 150 cap yeah um, and at the time having come from a sort of YouTube background you always get that like question of whether or not the numbers will translate into like bodies and rooms because that's the real that's the real teller isn't yeah. it you can have you can have millions of, of hits and, and plays and whatever but unless you can actually get people in a room so I think I was just, I, I, I think I was one of my like favorite memories so far of just doing music was that tour. I was like so shocked yeah. at everything. It was so fun. It was yeah. so fun. And was that your first time in New York in general as well? Or? Very first time. Wow. What was that like for you? It was incredible because we, I had a friend called Regina Zaramba who supported on my tour. Basically is my only friend in America, well now I have two, yeah. I have Ken, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so at that time was my only friend in America and I don't drive, so I, I don't either, I oh really, wow, yeah. so I booked this tour with not a lot of regard for how the hell we were going to get around and then as soon as the shows were booked I was like, okay, shit, I gotta figure out how to get around, so I was like, hey Regina, who wants to take a month off work and drive me around the country, that is and mad. She said yes, surprisingly, and amazingly, she's a great musician, so we had this amazing, very slapdash thrown together tour where Regina supported, I did merch when she was on, then I played, she did merch when I was on, and then we just piled into a car and drove away with everything. We used the same guitar. It was like, it was so much fun. And we, at the time, the original plan was we were going to stay 
you know, it was small shows, so we were probably just going to be staying in like sketchy B and Bs and motels. Yeah. And then I had this is and this is one of the like most amazing things that's ever happened to me. Um, a guy called Sean who was just someone who knew me and my music from I don't know the internet. Yeah. He reached out and he was like, Hey, I work in IT and I I've racked up quite a few points with this hotel chain yeah. called Hyatt's. Yeah, yeah. Like I have thousands and thousands of these points I'm never going to use because what happens is my my work books hotels for us, but yeah. we get the points to our own name. So if you want, I can cover all of your hotels for your whole tour and it's not going to cost me or you anything. Holy shit, for the whole tour? Because when you said for points... For the whole tour. That's mad, because when you said there's no points, immediately I thought like, oh, maybe it's like one or two nights or something. It was like, like a hotel oh. version of Air Miles, I guess. Fucking hell. So the most amazing thing was that, you sounded really Irish there, fucking <laughs> So the crazy thing was that, you know, I got to come to New York for the first time. We played a show and then we had one or two days off. <laughs> and Those are fans queuing outside for a dirty show for people who might hear that. I don't think they will, but if they do somehow, fans screaming. Mad screaming <laughs> people. Um, yeah, so basically we got to stay at the Hyatt, which was like just off Times Square or something silly. Yeah. Which for me as a first time in New York, I know New Yorkers avoid that place, like the plague. Yeah. But for me, it was like incredible. No, I mean, I've been here We got since... to be like very bougie and me and Regina were just like going around the country doing something that was incredibly slapdash and then going to a Hyatt hotel every evening it was like it was amazing it was just like it was such a nice thing for him to do what i love so much about this story is that regardless of where your career goes and regardless of what you do with it having an experience like that especially the connection with Regina, that's i'll no, never forget, forget it. that yeah i'll never forget so it and she's at the show tonight oh yeah and she's just like oh just one of those friends that you don't get to see that often but when you do you just pick up where you left off that's so beautiful. It's, gonna, it's gonna be really nice that she's here that's really tough like you know one of my favorite things in the world is when you drop a cover video I follow you on socials and that when you drop Thanks. those cover videos I love how inventive you get with them. Thank you um, very much. Yeah, it's one thing to hear a song But it's a totally different thing to actually see the visualization of how it comes together And like I'd love to just kind of pick your brain apart about like what it feels like to do that like with the cover Yeah, with the videos particularly like. with the cover I Usually try not to listen to the song that much which sounds a little bit strange but does, for a new song like um, I remember when Charlie XCX brought out Boys I really wanted to cover it because that yeah. was really cool and instead of like listening to it 20 times and inspecting how she sings each individual melody yeah. I thought it'd be more interesting to listen to it like twice maybe three times get the like basics but then it also leaves like it leaves a little bit of guessing room which I think makes some space for putting your own spin on things Yeah. Um, and means that sometimes you're singing things that aren't necessarily the right melody they're more just like your like jumbled up memory of what it was but actually can sometimes just end up being a bit different because they're just like with covers I'm just like what's the point in singing the same exact yeah. thing I'm you know I'm, otherwise you're a tribute act really yeah. so I, yeah I think yeah I mean it's always pretty stripped back with covers I yeah usually just do me and guitar but yeah I just less trying to listen to it less than I try to play it when I'm learning it if you get me yeah and when you approach it that way does it do you find it's almost like second nature feeling yourself within the song like your own approach to creativity yeah I just think yeah I just think that la almost like lack of knowing the song makes space for that somehow which yeah. sounds like a little bit weird but that's how I do it with covers and yeah yeah <laughs> and tell me like I know this is kind of like a totally like heady thing to ask but how does it feel when you're like doing that like when you're singing someone else's song yeah 
It's a, you know what, it's a, I only ever cover songs that I think the song itself is amazing. Yeah. Like it's kind of my, maybe it's to my detriment, but I like try <laughs> not to ever cover anything just because it's popular, just because it's being searched, just because it's going to move me up the YouTube rankings. Like again, to my detriment, maybe, <laughs> maybe I should be doing that. I'd be a better businesswoman if I did. But for me, I'm a musician, but I feel like first and foremost I'm a songwriter, so I like want to recognize amazing songwriting in the songs that I cover. Yeah. So, yeah, when I'm singing someone else's song, whether it's live or just in my room filming it, I'm just trying to use it as like soaking up other songs that I think are really well written. It's like a masterclass in writing. So I don't just yeah. like sing a song and try and sing the verse and the chorus like really I'm just a bit more of a thinker than that so I'm thinking of like oh wow I really like that first like I wonder why it's hitting so hard oh the rhythm is really cool or like sometimes you're singing someone else's song and you wish it was different and that's interesting as well you could be like oh I wouldn't have done that with the pre but I like where it went in the chorus and I like what you like that it goes down and not up or whatever so yeah. again that's just me being a bit of a geek but yeah. a lot of the time when I'm singing other people's songs yeah it's like a, a, a lot about the songwriting and trying to like delve into why it works for me or why I enjoy it yeah I love hearing that you know and I'm not just going to be blowing smoke up your ass when I say this but I Go Crazy is one of my favorite tracks of the year oh, it really so really is that's so nice and like Lyrically, it's so specific yet broad enough for people to insert themselves within it. That's what you want from a really great song, and you've achieved that. So fucking Thank well done. You. On that. Um, Thank you so much. I wonder, is this a part of the song you were aware of while you were writing it? The fact that people would be able to do that, or did you recognize that after the fact that people could probably fill themselves within that like moment and that feeling? I didn't. I thought it was. I almost thought it was. I thought it was more specific to my scenario than I think it ended up being. Um, basically, I told a boy that I loved him, which I don't do very often, yeah. and he didn't say it back. <laughs> Damn it! I listened to I, Damn it. I listened to the podcast where she talked about oh, that, yeah. and that was really interesting. Unbelievable! It was really cute. So, <laughs> some people. Um, so he didn't say it back. Fine. <laughs> and I had a yeah, I had a session the next day where. I was, we were writing a different song and oh. I came in and my the guys I the guys that produced the song called Ben and Sean and they were like, something's up. I was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> they were like, something is definitely up. Anyway, so I ended up writing about that, about the like frustration of feeling completely unhinged and just manic and confused in that moment. Um, but I thought it was like quite specific. I mean, the, the lyric in the chorus is like three hearts. No, wrong. Three words, two hearts, one maybe. Even though my dad misheard it as baby, he was like, oh God, really? Can, wow, after hearing that now, I could kind of hear how someone would do that funnily. Enough. Yeah, specifically my dad <laughs> thought I was conveying a secret pregnancy <laughs> via song. And he's like, oh no, how do I have this conversation? Uh, oh god she's telling me in a song no one maybe um but yeah in a way yeah i thought it was very specific but i think maybe is a little bit more universal than i thought because you can just that that feeling of frustration and and, and the kind of uh the kind of rhythm and the riff that we started it with and that it starts with the kind of like was totally Stevie Nicks Edge of Seventeen inspired because I had so many songs I mean just so many songs at this point I've been writing for years and they're all sat there and I have a lot of songs that are sort of quite major and, and happy and positive and then I have a lot that are very sad and very ballady but I had just like very few that were sitting in the middle yeah. I was like I don't want a song that's happy and I don't want a song that's sad I want a song that's like some other less defined feeling 
um, in this case, like just frustration yeah. and tension. And yeah, that kind of ended up being the first song that I wrote in that vein, I guess. Yeah, what really intrigues me with what you just said there is that like, that's the biggest thing that I latched onto of the song, the fact that you clearly are frustrated and you clearly yeah. are within this moment. But it's so rare to see someone both embrace it and also have fun with it, because the song's yeah. fun. Yeah, it should be, definitely. And I, yeah, 100%. It wasn't like, why don't you say you love me? <laughs> it was more just like, oh, I was like, almost like, it. I wasn't even angry at him. I was angry at myself for like, psyching myself up so much. I was angry at myself for like, I'm so precious about saying I love you to like anything and anyone yeah. that because I'm just one of those like really sentimental sappy people that think that the more you say it the less it means which is probably not true <laughs> um, but at the time I thought that and so it, the frustration that is conveyed is like less at him and more just at myself for like psyching myself <laughs> up putting so much emphasis making this big ceremony I'm gonna tell him on this day yeah, like, yeah. tell him at this time so really that was the whole thing it was yeah less frustration that why don't you love me and more just like Damn it, Orla. Like, just <laughs> don't do that. And, you know, I've, something I was really excited about knowing I was getting to talk to you, especially about the song, is mm -hmm. that the music video is so fucking cool. Oh, thank you so I much. I love the music video. Cheers. Uh, just tell me, like, what was that experience like to make a video like that? And uh, along with making it, what was it also like to watch it back for the first time? kind of uncomfortable. It's like a lot of me. I kind of knew I wanted to make a video that I was in, but I didn't want it to be, like, a pretty pop airbrushed I didn't want to look good like that's not the point of this song the whole point is that and I don't really think visually honestly like I think in sounds I guess so when it comes to artwork and videos I'm usually a bit more inclined to just pick people who I love present it to them and be like please work your magic like what would you bring to this yeah. so I didn't I, I'm not someone who I know a lot of friends that get the song together and they instantly know what the video is and, I, and I'm like very ready like that so this one, all I knew is that I wanted it to be, yeah, kind of, again, reflecting the kind of unhinged, tense, like, oh, feeling <laughs> of the song. Oh. And so, yeah, there's, um, there is a bunch of guys that have actually worked on a lot of music videos with Dodie, and oh. that's the gig that we're at today, who I play guitar for. Um, Sammy Paul, and another guy called Guy Larson, who was one of the directors of the music video for I Get Crazy. So a bunch of friends that I know through Dodie, and yeah, I sent them a song and just was like, hey, no obligation to be involved. I actually sent it because I wanted them to maybe refer me to like other people. I was just sending it around to try and like put out some feelers, and I was like, yeah, all I know is that I, would like to be in it, but I don't want to like look good. I want it to be kind of weird and uncomfortable and angry. not angry. I don't know. Just wanted it to be yeah. kind of like tense and a little bit unhinged. Like fractured a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're also the only thing visually that we had to work off at that point was the artwork, which was done by this girl called Dem Demi Whiffen, and she's like really into collages. Everything she does is like physical paper collages, nothing on a computer. So she's like cutting uh, stuff out with scalpels and gluing it and sending me all the pictures of her cutting board that's stuff. mental because so many people like ignore that element like yeah. that type of uh, signature touch to something yeah I, the next time she the next time we work together I almost wanted to get her to like just like film a time lapse of her working because it looks so perfect at the end you just assume it's it's by a computer yeah. but she had done this artwork for me which again just in her own style was like collaging and paper and had this kind of DIY thing to it so yeah, the guy who directed it, guy just took what I said about having something unhinged and then looked at the artwork and was like, oh, it'd be really cool to also just make something a bit sort of papery and collage -y. And 
that's what we landed on. So yeah, for for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's uh, got a lot of weird masks of like my eyes <laughs> and like weird reassembled versions of my faces that are just like not pretty, but they're not yeah. meant to be. Yeah. How many uh, days of shooting was that? Like? One day of shooting. Really? But a lot of prep and a lot of post. So yeah. guy who, I mean, saying he directed it doesn't even cut it because he did so much. He, well, we started by having one, I guess we had a, I guess we had two shooting days. The first day was, was photos. So everything that he needed to make the masks that are in it had to be shot that day. And we also just did like a lot of, a lot of video takes of me just, singing the words I go crazy like zoomed in on my mouth yeah um, and they were just like they became a set of pictures that he then used to do the stop motion animation That's so he we yeah, did those one days of pictures and then the second day was just all the video stuff and he was just like so organized about it he was like we you know he knew we had a kind of storyboard type thing and he knew when we were cutting to wish swing and exactly what we had to shoot that day. That blows so. my mind, like, cause like I know how storyboards work, but watching in the way of the video, like I remember the first time I watched it and just seeing the timing for everything, even knowing so how many, video is, it's like how. Yeah, so many shots in it. Everything yeah, by the second. Guy, yeah, massive shout out to Guy Larson, he was incredible. So then he then took the footage that we'd done over two days, using the photos, and then he did all the stop motion animation, which was. Uh, I, I feel like I should, yeah, there's a Peter Gabriel music video for a song called Sledgehammer, yeah. which is very stop motion animation based, and it's something we were kind of loosely referencing, and yeah, he really wanted to have that, so there's like a lot of paper mouths that he's yeah. gone and, and, and made stop motion animation clips of, yeah. and yeah, it was really cool, he said that he just like had hundreds of paper versions of my mouth that he just like didn't know what to, <laughs> he didn't know what to do with them after he was like do you want these i was like i don't think so so i think he just burned them or something i think That's he felt hilarious. i think he felt weird putting them in his in recycling bin <laughs> um one of the re the well the main reason i know about the story behind the song is because i mentioned i heard a podcast in which you talked about it mm -hmm. and that's because a couple weeks ago i joined your amazing secret demos club that's so nice thank you yeah. i didn't realize you were in that yeah that's so cool. yeah i joined it i think just two three weeks back and um are you a big patreon user do you like support anyone else on there uh moderately like friends of friends and like people who go uh, like there's a school called um SCAD uh, Savannah Art School of Design okay and uh, some of the people who do projects with their, their senior projects tend to use patreon and like I always see people posting about it mm -hmm. but yeah I joined your your demo club but for people listening I highly recommend them checking out you do this amazing thing where not only do you release demos but you release the stories of them you make them downloadable mm -hmm. and you interact with people like I really would love to hear how this came about because I'm sure you're more than aware a lot of people don't do stuff like this. Well, no, musicians yeah. I think I realized a couple of years ago, I have two EPs out that I put out in 2013, 2015, and I'm still proud of them, but I also realize now that I was at a stage, like at a quite an early stage in my career, and developing as a musician, turns out it takes longer than I thought. Yeah. So I was kind of unsure about how I was going about things, especially production-wise, and I ended up after releasing those, being proud of them, but also thinking that I would have done it differently in hindsight. And then I think, and I feel like a lot of musicians have this point, I reached a point where I became really precious about what I put online. Because you, you know, once you put out something that you think could have been better, you're sort of wary to upload your next video, wary to put out your next song. You're like, oh, I want to get it right the next time. I want to make something I'm going to be really proud of. But there's like nowhere online, you know, everything, 
leaves a trace. Like you can put a video up and someone can download it and be uploaded if they want. So I just became really, not paranoid, but I guess just like really precious about what I put online. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of a shame because there's like so many things that I make that are just sat on my laptop that like don't feel right to upload to YouTube, but also shouldn't just be sitting on my laptop in the bin. Like there are some people I feel would like to hear them. So yeah, the Secret Demo Club started out as kind of, I guess, a safe place for me to upload things that was like semi-public, like yeah. just the people who really cared could be there, but I didn't have to bother anyone else with them. And I didn't have to be worried about whether it was the right music or the right move or the right song. It was like just a very chilled out place where I could be like a creative playground for me yeah. and for anyone that knew me could satisfy their kind of, I don't know, whatever hunger there was for new music for me that I wasn't ready to fulfill in a proper sense with proper releases and Spotify and stuff, I could do in this kind of closed door, I guess. Yeah, well going, so, yeah it's been really fun. Yeah, well going off what you said at the start of all that in regards to development and figuring it out and all that, I mean, what you kind of figured out in a really interesting way is finding that sense of how to develop that through line, but making sure you're not having to do it privately. Because there is those two extremes where either you get really, really big off of like a song or first record and developing in front of everyone and it's freaky, or you're developing kind of like in the shadows for like a decade and come out of this weirdly fully formed thing. I know. It's bizarre. I almost think like that whole, you know, band starts in the garage with a lot of school friends and then they come out in a couple of years time and they're ready and they know what they want. It's just so rare now. I mean, I started putting videos when I was like, I played guitar for like two weeks. I was just like cocky little shit. It was like, <laughs> look at me, I can play a cover. Um, which is fine. So yeah, I was developing somewhat publicly. Obviously it was like in my on my own scale, but I'm so glad that I haven't had a viral smash. Like I have a, I'm blessed to have an amazing audience that are fiercely loyal beyond my comprehension. But yeah. At the same time, just like God, the pressure that that brings, I, could, I would not have been ready for it then. I feel I would have been more ready for it now, but yeah, you're right, you, you get thrust into the limelight and it's a case of like whether or not you're ready for it. And yeah, yeah it, it takes, I realize, and definitely in my case, it's just taking me so long to realize like what I want to be and what I want to sing about and what I want my live show to be. Yeah. Um, maybe there's... Maybe it's more simple for some people. Maybe I'm just a control freak and I like I like to agonize over each detail. But um, yeah, it is taking time, but I think it's good that it takes time. I mean, craft, that's what a craft should be. I no, I totally agree with that. And like, I think you actually hit on something that's almost like a bit of like a secret kind of super benefit for you in regards to the fact that, because I feel like when you have those two, two extremes that we just discussed about development, you, you're kind of missing the element of having people around that you can actually like grow with. And what you have with this club, even just being on a couple weeks, is that like you not only talk to people, but you consider people's opinions and there's like dialogue and like discussion going back and forth. And like naturally, I imagine that informs your music, how you think about writing. That's 100%. something a lot of people don't have. Yeah, no, I feel really lucky. And you know, I think it's different for people whose artist projects involve more people. Like if I was in a band, maybe it would be different because I'd have people around me in the band and we'd all write together, we'd have like people to bounce ideas off. But actually the reality of being a solo artist is that it can get a little bit isolated and you're sometimes making music in a vacuum. So I guess in my own way it's been my kind of antidote to that and a way of letting some people in on that process, whether it's them giving feedback on the demos or even them giving me ideas for the next song. Like it's 
amazing. Yeah, I think I've seen you talk about this in interviews before about uh, what we talked about earlier about um, having your early music online. I honestly like that it's there because I think it kind of shows growth. But like, do you find yourself going back and forth and how you feel about it? Yeah, I do, to be honest. I think I like, I have to put myself in the shoes of someone finding someone new because I'm not, I'm not just someone who makes music. I'm like a huge fan of loads of artists. I yeah. go to so many shows. I, I follow people on Patreon. I just, I, I love being a fan as well. So yeah, when I find someone and I find their old music, yeah, you don't listen to someone from five years ago and go, this sounds really inconsistent with the current music. Like, <laughs> you just go, yeah, people grow and change and that's cool. So yeah, I think there's something to be said for leaving your journey up there. Like that said, there are some like old videos that I've privatized that are just bad. Like not just subjectively, just just terrible. Like <laughs> I was not, not good. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I get a little bit pressed by things like that, but no, for like old music that's been properly released, it would be very, uh, very mean to my younger self to take all the work I put in at that time and just yeah. bin it, you know. I definitely so. agree. Yeah. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the Lonely People EP because that mm -hmm. was like my first kind of window to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I was re-listening to that EP a few days ago and I feel that EP is very re reflective in how you're clearly a student of pop music and yeah. it's key of you to kind of inject that within your music. I yes. really like that, even your current music. Um, that led me to wonder, how have you been feeling about most of the songs you've been working on recently? Because obviously you've been writing very differently, but I imagine that element of caring about the craft is still there. So oh how does God, it feel yeah. with your writing? I feel like I feel like one thing that I really was exploring during that EP and, and in all the time since was the kind of relationship between songwriting and production and how I always thought of those things as separate things, but really when we did Lonely People EP, I was working with producers and I had like no, I found that I had no like lingo to express what I wanted it to sound like. I could use references, but that was the point where I realized, oh wow, I'm like saying, you know, can you make the vocal sound a bit more crispy? I'm using words <laughs> that like are not really communicating at all. Um, so it was like massively eye-opening because like, right after we made that EP, I was like, okay, I'm gonna learn how to produce now. Not because I wanna always be the sole producer on myself, but just because if I'll be so much better versed in this whole world and I'll be better able to express what I want and I'll be able to co-produce whatever comes next. Um, so that was like the main difference between, even though the writing is still absolutely pop, um, that was the main difference between that EP and I get crazy and everything to come. I'm an insufferable control freak now. I have to be there and playing and everything and doing everything with the producer. But yeah, there's like, I mean, there's a, there's a pop current that runs through everything that I do. I can't help it. I just love pop music. And oh. at the same time, I also love, like we were talking about Regina Spector, I love singer-songwriters. Like, because I care about lyrics so much, I think I will always love artists like that. Oh. But at the same time, I'm also just so inspired by the current wave of like all pop. Really love Maggie Rogers, really love King Princess. Just like all these artists are so exciting to me. So yeah, I'm very proud of that EP, but I also think it's getting a bit more refined than what it sounds like. But it was very, it was very fun to record. It's funny, as you were talking just now, it just hit me, who put me onto your music. Uh, it was Neil from the band De Laurentiis, the bass player. Uh, yeah, I've worked with him a couple of times in the past. I remember one of the last times- You're like honorary Irish. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> 
pretty much. Wow. I remember like one of the last times I was in London, it was like maybe 2016, he was talking to me about music he was really yeah. keen on. No, sorry, 2015, obviously. And yeah, he brought you up. No way, I didn't yeah. know that. I love that band, but yeah. I had no idea. That's They're really fucking cool. brilliant, yeah. Yeah, I only have a couple few questions for you, and I really oh. want to say thank you again for taking time to chat. No, this is fantastic. Thanks. Just for some context, because it's, it's an audio media. <laughs> We're currently not sitting in any particular dressing room. We're just outside in this kind of warehousey bit of Brooklyn Steel, and my bandmates at the Dodi tour were terrified of like losing their guns on this tour, so they have bought and set up a mini gym called the Steel City Circus, which is like right beside us. So we're like surrounded by like a bench and our, uh, what is that thing called? I don't even know. Oh, like dumbbells? I think that's dumbbells. But what is it on? I don't know, like a big pull-up bar thing. Yeah, sort of. But yeah, I thanks like for joining <laughs> me in the Steel City Circus. I love how we've just shown how much time we spend in gyms. Yeah. <laughs> but just, I, mean, that's I don't know what the fuck that's called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm going to ask you about the Dodi tour. Before I do, I just yes. wanted to bring up how awesome uh, Lauren's song Psycho is. Oh my god. That song is so fucking great. So what? Yeah, she's just unbelievable. What a woman. Yeah. I'm very excited. I'm really her. happy she's back. Me too. She's just, oh man, it's just so nice to see her come back and kind of do things on her terms as well because when me, when I first moved to London, Laura was the first person that I knew and we were 18 and just had left school and we we're just discovering what on earth it meant to exist in this crazy industry and yeah, just navigating like what it meant to have a manager or what it meant to consider a publishing deal and all this kind of stuff and we felt like in the early stages we were like just kind of going through it together. She's so nice. And she's, you know, she's been through the label thing. She's experienced so much, and yeah, she's like back doing it on her own terms. It's like oh. so nice. I'm so chuffed for her. You guys better play a show together. I would love that. Oh. I would love that. That really has happened. I'm moving in with her when I go back to London. Are you? So she'll be so sick of me. Oh, that's fucking amazing. And every time she wakes up, I'm gonna sing Psycho to her. <laughs> <laughs> As you mentioned, you're here because of the Dodi tour. Yes. When did you start touring with Dodi? It sounds like a really rowdy tour, but it's not. <laughs> it sounds like everyone's like such a tank. Um, so I started playing with Dodi, I think, three years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it might be three years. It's it's been in parts here and there. We've toured a lot more over the last like year and a half than we did in the first first yeah. year and a half. Um, yeah, she was looking to put a band together, and I had sort of introduced her to Pete, who is Dodie's MD, musical director, and also mine. And yeah, I'd never really considered playing for anyone else. Like, it's it was never something I thought I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think a part of me thought that when we started, maybe because you know I come from this originally from doing my own music. I think a part of me honestly thought that I'd be playing for someone else and I'd want to be in the front. Yeah. You know, that I have a bit of an, an, an ego issue. That's great honesty, though. What can you tell well, yourself? Though? Well, I fear, you know, I kind of feared that might be the case. But it turned out to be like, it's it's been an amazing experience. It's yeah. such a fun thing to do. And it's just a complete, it, it, going and doing a show in this capacity is such a different thing. Yeah. It makes me practice, like, guitar, which yeah. I, for my own stuff I get really lazy with. Yeah, yeah it's just really fun. So I sing backing vocals. And Bass, a guy called Pete, we got a guy called Ross on drums, and then two string players. Yeah. So 
just like it just and they're all like we're just all really good friends so it's like that's a mega. lovely touring crew to be traveling the states with that's really lovely um you know like i feel like i already know the answer to this but i remember like watching an interview a couple years back where trent reznor from nine inch nails was talking about like doing um soundtracks he feels very much made him a better musician because he got to think about the craft and the context of something about his name do you think in regards to Doty, like just touring has made you a better musician oh my god infinitely and and also just being on the other side of a live show not being the center of it has really informed me and like how i want to treat the musicians that i hire and like the people who play with me like how yeah just being on the other side of the glass is so interesting and with an act like with an artist like Doty, and i think the reason that hopefully the reason that hopefully i'm a good fit in a way is that like i'm not like a shredder i'm not going to be doing like a solo it's not that kind of music i can't even do that <laughs> so in a way i think coming from an artist background i feel like i'm sympathetic to the fact that we are there to embellish what she does we are not there to take the limelight the live show as you'll see tonight is about her and i feel like we're just we're in the back supporting what she does taking the videos to the next level but not like overpowering it's still Show. Yeah. Um, and I think coming from an artist background, I can like understand that more because I've been in the other side. Yeah, also because you're an artist as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's made me, I think, just a more rounded musician. It's also just really fun. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Uh, before I let you go, I just have one more question. You know, one of the things I appreciate about you is how honest you are on Twitter. <gasps> oh, no. I particularly to love... my detriment, probably. <laughs> oh, honestly, I think it's to your benefit because it's just like the thing that's really the music industry is weird. Yes, yeah. fucking weird. So weird. And I think what's weird about it is that when you think about how many people are on the planet who are within the industry, there's so many people who deal with the weirdness of it but don't talk about it. Yeah. And I love the fact that you do. You talk about it. The it's world. weird. Yeah. It's a weird job to do. Uh, before that, you go. I'd love to hear you talk about what it means to you to not just be open about your feelings, but knowing that people can directly respond to your feelings because I brought up about it with the demo club about how you interact with people but you also are willing to interact with people on Twitter who might not have a window to the industry apart from you. Yeah one thing I mean I don't feel like I've done it massively well on Twitter one thing I've tried to do a bit more within the secret demo club is just like demask this weird industry because well you're an artist at my level it's, it's fairly small and a lot of the people that follow me are also musicians so yeah I want to like unmask that whole thing a bit because it's like when you're not in the music industry and I only feel like I'm very much on the periphery of it as it is but like it's just very abstract you're like how do I make an album how do I do a tour it's just like where do you even begin so I yeah come from very humble beginnings and want the next sort of 16 year old version of me to see someone and be like oh wow okay that's how you meet a manager or like that's how you organize a tour not to say that i'm like an act i'm still figuring my own shit out but um yeah i like the idea of trying to make it less abstract for people because yeah you said just like you get an insight into it through interviewing people like it's a really weird job to do and something that a lot of people fall into but there's also you can only fall into so much, you still have to be deliberate about things and you still have to be savvy and you still have to, is that a word you use over here? Yeah, we use yeah. savvy. I always thought that was an American word actually. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> um, yeah, you still have to be savvy and you still, you can fall into having an audience, Yeah. Um, but you have to, it takes 
some thinking and strategy to keep them there, I guess. Yeah. Which is something I'm still trying to navigate. So. I think what's really interesting, uh, being it's funny because I, when I start working in music, it's very much of the DIY sense, and I start working with labels through different bands and things like that, and like uh, pop acts. And like, what's really crazy is that like the the weird dichotomy of the music industry, and this is for people who are not in it particularly, is that it is both absurdly structured and has practicalities, yet is all predicated on people not knowing anything. So it's much the of weirdest it. thing. Everyone is making it up as they go along, and that's not to like strip any merit to people who have been in this industry for a long time, especially on the creative side. Yeah. When I started doing writing sessions, I remember coming to London and being like, I can't read music, I can't read a I can't read a safe, I don't, I don't know any, I'm like self-taught, I have no theory, it's very abstract to me. Yeah. And I remember going into my first writing session like, I'm so worried that that was going to hold me back. And uh, it was, there was a guy called Nick Atkinson, who was, who was in the used to be Rooster, yeah. who did really well in the UK. And he was just straight away just debunked that whole thing for me. He was like, oh yeah, I don't know how to play any instruments. And I'm, and he was an amazing writer. And I was like, wow, you, I, shit, I thought I was going to have to do grades on piano to be a good songwriter. But yeah. it turns out like you can have it in your head and you can just make it work. It was really interesting. Yeah. That's so important to learn. Thanks so much for talking to me. I really Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for coming it, yeah. to the Steel City Circuit. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the show. I'm I definitely going to. Thanks for inviting me as well. I'm really keen on seeing it. Go Ken. I feel like all of this has aged me. Right on the edge of 22. You look like you've just seen a monster. What I look like to you oh, no.